Guys, the Bible dwells upon two great themes, the way to God and the walk with God. And contrary to what a lot of folks may think, the scriptures actually spend a great deal of time addressing the latter, the way with God, the walk with God, I should say. As we studied the book of James, we've seen that this, of course, has been the emphasis of his letter. If you've been here for any of the 20 or so sermons that we have preached in this book, then you know full well that James is not a message regarding the ways to God, but rather a practical message to those walking with God. Right? You know full well that this letter, in this letter, James provides clear and practical instruction to those that are believing and trusting in Christ, those walking with God. But something to make known this morning is he speaks not only to the individual walking God, but he speaks to the church. This is something we've learned time and time again as we've walked this letter. And with this, is my, with this in mind, uh, James' letter is a, it, it's a plea in some ways for genuine believers those walking with God, genuine believers in Christ, to authentically live out what they believe, both as individuals and as the church. Right? Our, as Christians, our primary obligation is in this life. It's not first to ourselves, but it's to God and it's to the body of Christ. So we've covered a lot in this letter. Uh, but guys, that is a lot of what we've covered, that it's not just to those of us as individuals, but it's to the church. And that's something that we struggle with a lot, right? Because a lot of us have grown up in this Western culture, and we have this individualistic view of what the gospel is. This is something we talk about in membership class all the time, that there's two facets of the gospel. There's the individual facet, and there's the corporate facet. And the one that we identify with the most is the individual facet, right? This is the one... Uh, that says, hey, there, there's a creator God, he's, he's, he's holy, he's perfect, he's pure, he's blameless, and all of creation is accountable to him, right? And he made our first parents in his image, and unfortunately, our first parents sinned against him in the garden, and because of that, their sin has been imputed to all of humanity, and this relationship with God has been broken, but God didn't leave us in our rebellion and our sin. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our behalf in order that we might be made right with him. All of that's true. It's so true. It's the gospel. But the part that we often leave out is that it's not just about us. It's about, as individuals, it's about us as a church, as a people, that when we're adopted into his family, when we're saved in Jesus Christ, we are a part of a people. We're a part of a church. And so again, as Christians, our primary obligation in this life is not only to ourselves as individuals, but to God and to the body of Christ. And so this letter, once again, it's a plea for genuine believers to authentically live out what they believe, both as individuals and corporately as the church. In order to do this, James, he speaks in a way that some might consider to be harsh, right? We've seen this time and time again in this letter. He doesn't tell believers what they want to hear, but he tells believers what they need to hear. If you've been around for these sermons, you know that he's pushed, he's exposed, he's probed, right? He's spoken in a way that pushes. And the reason he does this is because he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, right? And he was seeking to shepherd his people to live out what they believe in an authentic way. And I thought, man, don't we need the same push? So we've gone through this letter. I know that I have needed the same push. And as we've preached through this letter, I've had the thought that just as the Holy Spirit worked through James in this letter to pastor his people over 2,000 years ago, he works through it today to pastor us as well, right? Although we live in a different uh, culture, uh, you know, a different century, a different culture. We experience different trials. We need this. 
Right? As much as we speak a different language and we have different cultural references, yes, we need the same instruction. We need to be pastored in the same way that his readers did 2,000 years ago. I came across a, a quote this week that I thought very much applied to this. Pastor and author Tim Chester, he says, I'm convinced that most of our problems arise not because we need a new truth that we do not yet have, but because we need truths we already know pushed into the everyday realities of our lives. As I think Pastor James does this for us in a very practical way. If I could summarize this letter that we've covered in a sentence, I think I'd summarize it this way. If your faith is genuine, then your walk must be authentic. James' letter addresses authentic faith. Genuine believers authentically living out what they believe. And today my hope is to recap this letter. Right? And I want to do this in a way that's both edifying and beneficial to those of you that have listened to all or some of these 20 sermons, as well as the person that's here visiting for the very first time this morning. And so in an attempt to do this, my, co- my, attempt, my plan is to cover not the entire letter, but to try to capture three primary themes that are evident in this letter that we've covered in detail, but that we need to be reminded of this morning. And these, these three themes are trials, speech, and action. Right? How genuine faith produces authenticity in our trials and our speech and our action. Guys, we need this letter from James. We need to be pastored by him. As we forget, we're prone to wander. So let's start this morning by talking about how genuine faith produces authenticity in our trials. Okay, in regard to trial, I think there's a myth in our culture that teaches that trials are bad. Right? But in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, you may recall he says otherwise. In regard to believers living authentically as they experience the trials of life, James actually says this in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. All joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How countercultural is that? Guys, I want to just first acknowledge how difficult it is to preach that trials are a good thing, right? Because uh, I think I just need to acknowledge that on the surface, all of us have this thought that trials are bad, right? I mean, unless some of us have some problems this morning, maybe our elevator didn't go all the way up, right? Most of us are trying to avoid trials, right? Uh, Most of us are hardwired for self-preservation. We don't go looking for trouble, right? So why does James say that trials are a good thing. It's because it's on a spiritual level, James wants us to work against our natural tendency to avoid trials and actually see them as an opportunity to grow, to, to grow in our dependency on him, right? And not only on him, but on each other. That's why James says they're a good thing, because we grow in our dependency on God. I recently heard a friend say something that really stuck with me. He said, all of us, all of us desire miracles, but it seems like none of us want to be put in a position to actually need one. Another friend said this, all of us like the idea of faith, but it seems like we don't really like being put in a position to exercise it. And I thought in regard to trial, I can say something similar. Although most of us know and appreciate what trials produce in, in us, we don't want them. We don't want them. 
I think the main reason for that is because trials make it clear that we are not in control. We're not in control. Guys, trials require dependency on God, and trials require dependency on God's people. But guys, this is where genuine faith becomes authentic. Okay, I want us to cover a few ideas that we've learned from James in regard to our trials. Number one, authentic faith depends on God. Authentic faith depends on God. If our faith is truly genuine, then we know that God the creator made the world. He made us, he made all things to work together for his glory and for our good. We know that. All right? If our faith is genuine, we know that we were created to be dependent on him. And although that seems obvious, isn't it amazing how easily we forget that? Right? I, mean, I was thinking about this this week that our, our Adam, he, he walked in the garden in a, in a perfect and sinless environment with God and he talked with him and he was fully dependent on him in the garden. That should be a clear picture for us that, that we should walk and talk with God as well, fully dependent on him, but we don't. So many of us walk around in a broken and sinful world acting like we have it all together and that we are fully in control. If we never experience trials, we might not realize our need for him, our dependency on him. I know I certainly wouldn't. Yet trials remind me that, that I'm not God. I'm not in control. Trials remind me that I was created to be dependent on God. And guys, trials remind me that this life is not all that there is. Eternity's coming. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. As I know that so many of us can relate to this, this idea of trial. It's one of the reasons I, I chose this theme to recap this morning. Right? I know that so many of us have hard times in our lives. Maybe we're in one right now. Right? And we have no other option but to hit our knees in prayer. We have no other option but to be completely dependent on him. As I know that I have. So many times in my life due to trials, I know that I've hit my knees fully dependent on him. How about you? I mean, I can think of times in my life where I've pulled over the car, I've pulled away, I've found a place to pray. Uh, maybe I got some, some sudden news or maybe uh, there's a struggle I have and I just had to stop and I just cried out to God. I mean, thinking about James 1.5, God, you said that if anyone lacks wisdom, that we can ask you. And that you'll give it generously and without reproach. God, I need wisdom because I have no idea what to do right now. I have no idea what's coming. I'm fully dependent on you. I need your wisdom. And God, no matter the outcome, I trust you. I need you. Because I know I'm not alone in this. I know so many of you have prayed prayers like that. It's because of trial. It reminds us that we're not in control. It reminds us to be dependent on him. And friends, God desires that kind of dependency from us. And he also desires that we're dependent on one another. That's a second recap point this morning. Is authentic faith depends on God's people. Okay, in this letter, dependency on God's people is not only assumed, but it's assumed as a strength. Something I love about this is in every chapter of James, he addresses his readers as brothers. Right? I love that term, brothers. It, it, it's a personal, endearing term, right? And, and it reminds us of his love for the church. 
Because it also reminds us of the church's responsibility to one another. Remember, I spent some time a little while ago reminding us that James speaks not only to the individual walking with God, but also to the church. And guys, Rockwell culture can certainly learn from this. Something we learned uh, over the first couple of years after planting Crosspoint uh, was that in Rockwell culture, dependency is actually seen as weakness. That's something we noticed uh, early on. We've seen that in this community, right, although people are uh, certainly postured and ready to help serve others in a time of trial, uh, the problem is people actually receiving care in their time of trial. I think a lot of you guys, when I say that, you can relate to that. I see some heads nodding, right? So uh, although this is still very evident in Rockwell culture, I just want to encourage you. I want to say, thankfully, this is changing in our church, right? We have fought for authenticity in our culture since we planted. But guys, I want to encourage you. I want to say we're not there yet. We need to keep fighting for this, right? I know that so many of you guys walk in here every week and you're postured and ready to care for others in their trials, but you are going through something and you're having a hard time. You're struggling with a sin, you're exhausted, you don't tell anybody. You don't tell anybody because you don't want them to see you as weak. You don't, you're unwilling to allow others to care for you. As I know that every week some of you walk in here or you walk in your community group with that going on. Right? You're struggling with trials of many kinds, and because of, because of that, because you're, you're scared of others seeing you as weak, you don't share and you don't let others in. But, guys, James reminds us that dependency on God's people is a strength. Maybe you're physically hurting. You're emotionally hurting. Maybe you're fighting sin and you're exhausted, as I mentioned just a minute ago. Maybe you have a financial need that you have no idea how you're going to provide for. You don't tell anybody. Oh, yeah, it's you this morning, right? And if it is, let me just encourage you for a minute. Something we've learned from James is that dependency is not weakness. You were created to be dependent upon God, and you were created to be dependent upon God's people. You don't have to fake it, right? We, we live in this culture that celebrates the fake it till you make it, right? Take it from a guy that did that for a long time, guys. We don't fake it until we make it. We fake it until we fall apart. I know I certainly did. As we fall apart, Satan whispers in our ears lies. Lies that, hey, we can't share what we're presently struggling with, right? We can't share our need for help because others might actually see who we really are. They might see our dependency as weakness. But guys, here's the truth. Satan wants us to hide. He wants to hide from you the words of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect and your weakness. What? Countercultural. So when pastor says, when dependency on God is my goal, weakness is then my advantage. My challenge for us today is to depend on God's people in all things. But especially to depend on God's people in our trials. Right? And the reason for this is we want to watch God get the glory for that. Uh, the reason I say that is because trials give testimony to authentic faith. Okay? Trials give testimony to authentic faith. What if, as a result of James' instruction to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, we not only begin to thank God for the opportunity to grow in our dependency, but what if we also began to pray that our trials would not be wasted? What? What if we begin to pray that our trials would not be wasted but that they could be used for his glory. 
As I know this is a challenging concept because a lot of times that's the last thing we wanna do when we're going through a trial, right? We want immediate relief. We want things to be all better. And so a lot of times that's what we pray for and we should, that's okay. But what if we also prayed, God, don't waste this. Don't waste this in my life. Grow me, grow me in my dependency on you. Grow me in my dependency on others. And God, use this for your glory. Our trials are one of the greatest opportunities for evangelism that we have to a non-believing world. Hey, think about what I just said. Our trials are one of the greatest opportunities for evangelism to a non-believing world. The world can spot a hypocrite a mile away, right? We can too. But just like us, the world is drawn to authentic faith. No question. Trials often reveal the difference between genuine believers and those who merely profess faith in Christ. Lots of people have a lot of confidence in their faith until hardship comes, until trials hit. When things get tough, guys, that's when we as believers have an opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ. I guess it gives testimony to our authentic faith. So I was studying this week, I came across a story of a, a uh, a jeweler story, right? Uh, this ju- jewelers apparently take uh, diamonds and, and they put them in water in order to test their clarity, in order to test their authenticity. And, and so what I learned is that a jeweler will take a diamond, put it in the water, and if it's a real authentic diamond, it will shine. And to use their language, it shines with brilliance. But if they put a, an imitation diamond in the water, it doesn't do that. It doesn't shine. I thought, man, what a great illustration for people, Right? As with people, when under trial, right, if you put a believer under trial, it's going to shine. It's going to shine for Christ. If you put a non-believer under trial, it's not going to shine like that, right? To the jewelers say that even an untrained eye can tell the difference between a real diamond and a fake diamond if you put it in that condition. I think the same applies for us as believers, right? It's not only a test of authentic faith, but it's an opportunity to shine uh, and give witness to our faith. But here's the thing, not if we hide them. Not if we hide them, right? When we hide our dependency on God and when we hide our dependency on God's people, God is robbed of his glory and the non-believing world looks at the church not as a place where hurting people can come to find hope and healing, but as a place where uh, people seem to have it all together and they don't need any hope or healing. But here's the reality. They know that's not true. They know it's not true. And so they point fingers at the church and they claim that the church is full of hypocrites. I know I certainly did that at one point in my life. I did that exact thing at one point in my life. I pointed my finger at the church and I claimed that it was full of hypocrites. And it wasn't until I went to a time of great trial, a time of brokenness, that God used some men in my life to minister to me. And I knew that these men had had struggles because of the way that they lived out their faith authentically. And I was drawn to that. I thought, man, these guys don't seem to have it all together, but they seem to have something that I don't have. Right? And they pointed me to a place that I could find hope and healing, and they pointed me to a person, the person of Jesus Christ, that could provide that hope and healing. Guys, if we're not willing to be authentic, honest in our faith, vulnerable in our faith, and real about our own present brokenness, how is a non-believing world ever supposed to see the hope that we have in Christ? As I know for Elizabeth and I, sharing our trials with others is hard because just like you, we're fearful of others seeing us as weak, right? The truth is the gospel frees us from that. It frees us from that as 
His power is made known in our weakness. But friends, it takes humility. James taught us this in, taught us this in James chapter 4, verse 6. He said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Something we learned in this letter. So maybe something you can learn from James is that you need to lay aside your pride and depend on God and his people. Okay, and remember, trials look different for everyone. James says there are trials of many kinds. Maybe you're a man here this morning who's struggling with a secret sin. Nobody knows. Maybe nobody knows the website you're looking at. Women, maybe that's your struggle as well. Nobody knows. Maybe nobody knows the thoughts that you're struggling with throughout the day. Moms, maybe you're struggling with guilt because of the way you've spoken to your kids recently. Right? You've got your journal, you've got your, your planner, your cultivate planner, right? And everything looks good on paper, but the only one that knows what's truly being cultivated in your life is you. Maybe for you, you're involved in all the great Bible studies, you're reading your devotional, your one-year Bible, but at home, you feel like you're going to fall apart. Maybe for you, it's depression, right? Some of you guys come in here, you smile, you act like you're joyful, but on the inside, you can't wait to get to a private place that doesn't have people because being with people is just simply exhausting. Maybe it's an inappropriate relationship at work or the gym or online. Maybe it's envy or body image, Whatever your present trial is, maybe it's a physical trial, a sickness, emotionally, that's the solution to the gospel. Scripture tells us in Romans 3.23 that we all fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single person in this room that has not fallen short of the glory of God. The Scripture also also tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we are, he died for us. Friends, he lives for us now. Whatever it is this morning that you haven't confessed to a brother and sister in Christ and invited others to pray for you in, God knows about it. He loves you so much he died for it. He wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to be dependent on him. He wants you to be dependent on his people. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So I thought about this. I thought, man, let's not leave this in this room. Let's give you a homework assignment this week, right? Here's your homework assignment for your community group. Name your present struggle and pray for one another. Name your present struggle and pray for one another. Okay? If you're not in a community group and you want to be, please come see me. I'd love to have that conversation with you after service. And by the way, I just said name your present struggle for a reason. Right? So many of us find it really easy to name past struggles. Wow, man, I used to really struggle with this. Not anymore, I got this. What does that do, guys? It gives us the glory. What's hard is when we say, guys, here's something I'm going through right now. Here's a tough decision I need to make right now. Here's a sin struggle I have right now. Present day, will you please pray for me in this? Will you please pray for me in this? And guys, let me just say this. If you truly can't think of anything, if you get to your community group and you do not feel like you can share a present struggle, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's self-righteousness. I love you enough, I love you enough to say that. Right? We all fall short of the glory of God. Another primary theme in this letter is in regard to Christian speech. Oh, man, this has been a big one, right? As we've studied this book, we've seen time and time again that James 
basically says, if you believe like you should, then why don't you speak like you should? Right? And what we've seen is he dedicates over 27% of his letter to this, this topic on speech. Genuine faith produces authenticity in our speech. We saw this when we covered chapter 1, verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So according to James, a person who fails to control his tongue deceives himself about the reality of his religion. The man that James describes is a man who is a mere hearer of the word, and he's not a doer. And he's failed to put into practice what he knows. His faith is not genuine. His faith is not authentic. And therefore, James, that his religion or the outward expression of his faith, it's worthless. Guys, I hope we can see the seriousness of this. All right? Let's cover a couple of points, a few points in regard to how genuine faith produces authenticity in our speech. Number one, authentic speech is a matter of the heart. Okay, that's something we learned in this letter. In the case of speech, if the tongue is not controlled by God, it's a sure indicator that the heart is not either. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So to practice God's word through our speech means that our hearts are full of God's word, and the overflow of our hearts are revealed as we seek to build one another up through our speech. Okay, secondly, authentic speech is a matter of relationship. I think James knows that so much of our relationship with God will be evidenced in our relationship with people. And as we know, words play a key role in our relationship with people. When, when, used words, when words are used properly, they build up, they encourage, they promote understanding, they promote unity. But when words are misused, they aggravate and they provoke and they drive people apart. And James warns his church again and again in his letter of this. He says in James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, in regard to the tongue, he says, It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Remember what I said earlier. Remember, as Christians, our primary obligation in this life is not only to ourselves as individuals, but to God and to the church. And so for Christians to be authentic with our speech means that our speech matches our belief as individuals and as a church. And when our hearts are full of God's word, our hearts are revealed as we seek to build one another up through our speech. Okay, authentic speech is a matter of relationship. Authentic speech also impacts our witness. It also impacts our witness. As an example of this, let me just, let me use this story. So you guys are all here this morning. You're listening to me speak on the stage about authentic faith and all these things. What if you saw me walk into the parking lot after the service today and you saw me deliver a different message? What if somebody accidentally bumps into me or a car's racing through the parking lot? And what if you saw me cuss them out in that moment? What would you think the next time that I got up here to speak? Could you shake that? Probably not. It would, it would impact my witness. It would impact my witness. True story. I mean, I've had something like that happen. I remember when my son Carter was young and he played baseball and I was coaching his team. Um, back then, Rockwell was a smaller town and, and you, could, you could pull a car right up behind the cage and the dugout and all that stuff. And so his grandparents were actually attending that game and because they'd had some health problems, that's what they did. They pulled the car right up behind uh, the cage, the batting cage. So they're watching the game from their car. Not a big deal. But what happened was, is something happened in their car to where about 15 minutes into the game, uh, one of them opened the car door to get out, and the car alarm went off. 
Right? As you can imagine, extremely distracting, right? I mean, both sides uh, of the field are, are turning around, looking at this car, it's going off. So I come out of the dugout, and I come, and I help them shut it off, and everything kind of gets back to normal, and the game resumes, right? Then what happens about 15 minutes later is the same thing, right? So they open the car door again, car alarm goes off, and it's loud, and it's distracting, and people are getting irritated, and I'm walking out of the dugout, and this parent on the other field yells something at me. Let me just say that I, I yelled some choice words back at him, and it was louder than the car alarm that was going off, okay? Not my best public moment. I was serving as a pastor at the time. After those words came out of my mouth, I immediately thought, man, what if that guy walks into my church? What if he walks into my church? Man, I got I to make this right. And so everything gets back, everybody gets calmed down. And after the game, I remember grabbing a card and I said, hey, I'm going to go, let's go look for this guy that I yelled at. Go walking around, look for him, couldn't find him, couldn't find him. Got in the car and I said, hey, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that I can find this guy. And so I prayed that prayer, God, I, and I blew it today. I pray that you would give me the opportunity to have a conversation with that guy that I yelled at. I pray that you would redeem this somehow, some way. All right, so the next week I looked for him and the next week I looked for him. Finally found him. Grabbed Carter and said, hey, let's go talk to this guy. Right, here I go. I got young son in hand walking across the field. I said, excuse me. I said, you may not remember me. He goes, I remember you. Yeah, I know who you are. I said, he's on defense, as you can imagine. I just said, hey, I owe you an apology. What? So yeah, I said some things to you that and I'm not proud of. A lot of stress in the moment, but no excuse. I owe you an apology. Um, and I just wanted to make that right. Sorry that I yelled those things at you. Goes, yeah, whatever. It's okay. And God will make an opportunity for you to make it right. I saw that guy a lot after that. You know what? We smiled at each other from that point on. Right? What about you? I'm sure you've got your own stories as it relate to your speech. Maybe, maybe some of them happened this morning on the way to worship. Right? Sunday mornings can be a testing time for a lot of us as we're trying to get here on time, especially daylight savings time, right? Maybe it's your tone with your family, your spouse, your kids. As, as a husband, I know I've said things to my wife that are hurtful and damaging. As a parent, I know I've said things to my kids that are hurtful and damaging. As in the moments when we've sinned with our speech, I know when I have, my heart has not been right with God, right? My witness has been hindered. But thankfully for those of us who've sinned in this way, which I'm assuming is a lot of us, we don't have to stay far from God. We don't have to stay hypocritical with our speech. Because the solution, once again, is found in the gospel, right? Christ died for the way that you and I have sinned in our speech, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, through confession to Christ and through confession to others, our witness can be rebuilt. I told you the, the baseball game story. I mean, I, I found that guy. I was able to confess my sin to that guy. And, and there was a witness that was rebuilt with that guy in some way, right, with my, with my wife. I know I've gone to her so many times and says, you forgive me for my tone, the way that I've spoken to you, right, with my kids. Hey, I, I messed up. I said something that was harsh, right? Will you forgive me for that? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble, generally true of people as well. We're reminded of that as we studied the book of James. Guys, I know those conversations aren't easy. 
I know in the moment, they don't always go like we expect, right? We have it built up in our mind. We're going to go have this uh, humble conversation with somebody. We're going to confess our sins, and they're going to embrace us, and everything's going to be great. And then we go do it. And just like the guy at the baseball game, you walk up to him and you confess, and they go, huh, whatever. Right? You're the only person you can control. Me too. Right? If possible, so far as it depends on us, let us live at peace with everyone. Maybe for you, it's a confession today. Maybe that's your next step. Right? If today the Holy Spirit has brought to mind a specific way that you've sinned with your speech, if someone comes to mind that you've sinned against through gossip or slander, right? remember, we've covered those in this letter, right? the gospel's the solution. God is ready to forgive you, and he wants you to confess. He wants you to be dependent on him in that. Right? He wants you to confess to others when appropriate. If you don't know how to do that, what we preach in that sermon, if you don't know how to confess, is to seek godly counsel on that. Right? Ask others that are close to you on how you can best confess this sin in, in this way that you've spoken to this person or slandered against this, this person. Because remember, authentic speech impacts our witness. Finally, guys, I want to talk about how genuine faith produces authenticity in our action. Okay? If you believe in Jesus Christ, James says that your faith in Christ will produce authentic action. If you believe that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth, walked among us, that he died on the cross for your behalf, paying the penalty for your sin, if you're believing and trusting in him, James says that your faith in him will be evidenced in how your life is now being lived for him. I saw this quote on Twitter this week, and I couldn't help but grab it. It says, God changes your identity, and then he works on changing your activity. Man, that's so applicable to what we've learned in James, right? Trials and speech, guys, are certainly a big part of this. But every minute of your life as a believer is now to be dedicated to your worship of the Lord, right? The reason that we have lungs in our, our breath in our lungs, I should say, is to worship him. Sometimes you hear this question asked, like, hey, what does God want from me? And to the believer, the answer to that is everything. Everything. You were created by him and for him, and your life is to reflect him. Okay, authentic faith produces authentic action. We learn this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. As when we covered this passage, we covered that using a rhetorical question and a hypothetical situation, James, right, he says that faith is either dead, it's powerless, and it's worthless, worthless, to which he later relates it to the demons, or it's authentic, it's real. Right? And just so we're clear, uh, when we studied Galatians, we, we certainly learned that we are saved apart from works, right? The full counsel of God's word certainly teaches that, that we're saved by faith alone apart from works. But here James describes how faith, genuine faith, it produces authentic actions in our lives. Chapter 1, one, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If James has taught us anything at all, it's that hearing God's word is not simply to know it. The point of hearing God's word is to do it. Genuine faith produces authentic actions. And friends, when we put our faith into action, our action gives testimony to our faith. 
so many ways that I could illustrate this point, but I can't help but sharing a recent story uh, that occurred just this week in our church. Many of you guys have heard the story of Clint and Brittany Brunson uh, this week, right, members of our body. Uh, most of you know Clint and Brittany. have uh, been with us for a little over a year now, I think. And last year, uh, they adopted their daughter, Brianna. They added to their existing family. They had two kids already, and they adopted their daughter, Brianna. Uh, and then shortly after that, uh, Brittany uh, became pregnant, and she's actually due to deliver uh, just this coming Monday on the 18th of March. And so their family's been growing, is in the process of growing. But if you haven't heard this week, their family's actually just grown some more. Um, this past Monday, Brittany got a call that uh, Brianna's uh, biological mother had just given birth to a baby boy. And the mother had decided to put him up for adoption because they adopted Brianna, and this is Brianna's biological brother, uh, they called Brittany, and they said, would you like to adopt this boy? The funny part of this is that Clint was in, he was at work, and so if Brittany says, I'll call you back, she, she tries calling Clint, and after 17 missed calls, she couldn't get in touch with him. He was in a meeting, his phone, he didn't see his phone ringing. After 17 missed calls, she makes the call, she, she makes the decision without having talked to Clint, and she says Yes. Here's what's awesome about that is that her and Clint are on the same page. He goes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said yes. So she's due to deliver their baby boy on Monday, and they just brought their new baby boy home on Friday, if that makes sense. They're here today. Hopefully they're encouraged by this. I just couldn't help but share that story as an illustration of how authentic action gives off testimony to authentic faith, because as I was talking to Clint a couple times on the phone this week, he told me about how many people would come by his office and say, you're doing what? You're doing what? Why would you, like, aren't, aren't you, you have kids already, you're about to get another, like, why would you do this? And he, in every one of those conversations, the way he put it, is that he was able to share the story behind the story, and how he's been adopted through Jesus Christ and the gospel every one of those conversations. He told me about one particular lady that's not only non-believer, but she's anti-Christian. And she came to him and she says, you know what? I don't even like Christians, but if more of them were like you and your wife, I might. What an opportunity for witness. As authentic action gives testimony to authentic faith. Walking in community with these guys, it's been amazing to see the way that they have depended on God in this. I wish I could stand up here and just tell you all the ways that I've gotten to witness the way that God has come through for them in this past week as they've depended on him, but also the way that they've depended on God's people. Right? Earlier I was talking about Rockwell culture struggling with allowing others to help us, right, because it's seen as a weakness. What we did in our communities, we, we said to these guys, hey, make a list of all the things you don't have and all the things you need, and, and please send that to us. And you know what? They did. They did. Praise God they did. Right? And they reached out to our adoption community that's here in the church, and, and others are, man, they're putting stuff together and getting stuff, and people racing out and getting stuff, and you know what? They're set up, and again, they're here today. You can only imagine all the things you need to, in order for that to come together, right? The church gets to be the church when that happens. As, as we've studied James, we've spent two Sundays talking about James 127, caring for orphans. And I just thought, man, that again, is such a great story to illustrate that. Right? A lot of you guys responded in those two Sundays. We, we had a sermon that was preached on caring for orphans, and we also brought a panel up here, and we talked about caring for orphans and what that looks like. 
And we passed out cards. We said, hey, if any of you are interested in responding in some way, being a part of a team to support people that are in adoption or in maybe you're fostering or ad- adopting yourselves, and write that down. We want, we want to put something together. We want to put together a dinner to where we can, you guys can get together and hear more about this. And you know what? Over like 40 of you guys turned in cards that day to help support the orphan in some capacity. A lot of you guys came to that dinner to hear about what you could do to take next steps. A lot of you guys are taking next steps, right? But I want to challenge you this morning. Like, time goes by. We get distracted. Things come up, right? We start questioning things. Did God really say that I was supposed to do that? I mean, I knew I was in that message, and I know I felt the Holy Spirit spur me. There was was something going on in me that I said, yes, I want to help. I I want to take a step towards fostering. I want to take a step towards adoption. But did God really say? If that's you, I want to encourage you this morning. Be reminded of what you, how God spoke to you in that service. I know Elizabeth and I have had that question. Uh, Those of you guys who know us, you know that we're in the adoption process. We've started the international adoption process. We started that after last year. That was definitely us. Right? We, we felt the Holy Spirit just leading us to take this step, and our family is, is moving in this direction. And a lot of you guys know what's going on with us. But just, I mean, just this past week, I had that question Did God really say? I thought about what Satan whispered in Eve's ear in the garden Did God actually say? <sighs> yeah, He did. He did. So maybe you've gotten distracted this morning. Maybe you need some encouragement this morning. I pray that you be encouraged by what's going on with the Brunsons, uh, by hearing these reminders and James this morning. Guys, our church has momentum. We asked the question back then, like, what if Crosspoint Community Church could impact uh, the orphan system in Rockwall County? Like, what, what if this church became known for that, right? Even at Christmas, we raised $15,000 in our adoption fund Money that's ready to be put to work for those of you that want to step in in obedience to foster and adopt. Guys, let's not lose that momentum. Let's be reminded this morning what God's been stirring in us to take action. So just as a review, guys, maybe uh, our next step is in regard to trial. Okay? Maybe for us, our next step is being authentic in our trials. And it's hard for us to think about doing that. Our next step is to thank God for the trials we're in. Thank God for the trials we're currently facing because they allow us to be more dependent on him. Maybe that's our next step this morning. Maybe for us it's allowing others into a present trial that we're facing so that we can authentically share how we're depending on God and depending on others. Maybe for us it's praying that our trials would not be wasted, but they would be used for his glory. Remember, authentic trials give testimony to authentic faith. Maybe for us this morning, our next steps in regard to our speech. Right? If you recall, authentic speech is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of relationship. And so James reminds us that so many of our relationships are uh, a direct, direct, yeah, tongue-tied, direct result of our relationship with God, right? That how we use our speech affects how God uses us in those relationships. I was thinking about it. I thought, man, what's our next step after this? Maybe, it's, maybe for us today, it's a hard conversation that we know that we need to have with a friend or a family member. Right? Maybe 
Maybe for us, it's giving our boss feedback at work, or maybe it's admonishing someone in the church about a specific sin that they're in. Maybe it's the countless conversations that we have with our spouse in marriage or our kids in parenting. Whatever it is this morning, guys, I hope that we're reminded of the importance of our speech and the importance of our relationships. Remember, authentic speech gives testimony to authentic faith. Maybe for us, it's a specific action step that that we know that the Holy Spirit is stirred within us. We know there's a certain person we're supposed to share our faith with. Maybe it's adoptions I just talked about a minute ago or fostering. I know a lot of you have taken steps. I'd love to know what those steps are. As I know that so many of you have taken action as a result of being in this letter. We don't even know about it. We'd love to hear those stories. Maybe you're here this morning, though, and you don't know what that next step is, though. You go, all right, we've studied James. I've listened to you this morning. I've heard about trials and speech and action. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. God, tell me. Show me. Maybe for you, it's something that God's already told you to do. We covered this as we studied this letter. You say you have faith, but is that evidence in the way that you're leading your family? Your finances, that reflected in how you prioritize your worship and your community group? What about your giving? What about inviting a friend to church or going on a mission trip? What about joining a community group at the church? Guys, there's a lot of times we're walking around looking for some big way that we can serve God to have some huge impact. And what we need to be looking are the everyday little things that we need to be faithful in. So maybe you've been spurred into action to be obedient to what God has already told you. What about serving the church? If you're a member here and you're not serving in some capacity, I can tell you that's your next step, right? You're a part of the body of Christ, this local body, this local expression, cross-point community. And in reference to the body, you're a piece of that. And what that means is the body's not going to function properly without you. Right? Biblically, I'd say your next step is to serve the church in some capacity. Right? All of our teams are always looking for new people to get involved. Come see me after the service at the connection table. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Okay? Maybe for you, acting out your faith is being ready to respond to whatever the Lord's going to call you to do. Reality is that some of us will leave here today, and we don't know what God has in store for us. We're trying to be as faithful as we can in our lives, and we just pray, God, make us ready to respond. Position us with a posture of readiness, like the Brunsons were. Brittany can say yes, because her and Clint were both positioned to say yes. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. God, give me courage in the moment to respond. As we close our study of James, let me just say this, guys. The test of our authenticity as a people, what we've learned in this letter, what we've learned today on Sunday, is going to be evidenced in what we do with it on Monday. So many times I've come in here and I've heard a sermon and I've had the Holy Spirit stir in me, prompt me towards action, and I've walked out those doors and I have forgotten as I just pray that as a people, we'd be reminded this morning of what James has taught us in this letter, that we wouldn't forget, that we would allow others into that, possibly. Share with your community group the way the Lord's been stirring in your heart. Show your dependency on him. Show your dependency on God's people. Ask for accountability to take next steps in that, guys. Our church has momentum. I really want to encourage us not to stop. Let's not get distracted with the things of this world. Let's be transformed by the renewal of our minds, and let's take next steps. Okay? Hearing God's word is not simply to know it. The point of hearing God's word is to do it. If our faith is genuine, then our walk must be authentic. Pray with me. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Thank you for these reminders in my own life this week as I had a chance just to dig into this, as I've had a chance to communicate this to your church. God, I pray that you would use it, that you'd multiply it. God, I don't know how you stirred in the hearts of your people this morning, but God, you do, and I pray that you would give them the courage to respond just as you would like them to. God, we thank you for the families in our church that are responding, what they're doing. We thank you for the Brunsons that I was able to use them as an illustration this morning because of what you have done in them. And God, you get the glory for that. I know in no way do they want the glory for what's going on in their lives. God, by the way, I pray for favor upon this family. Uh, I pray that uh, you would just bless them in this time of obedience for them, that you would provide for them, that you would continue to use this story to make yourself famous to inspire others to be obedient. And God, I just pray that you would wrap them and make them known, make make yourself known to them in ways that uh, would just surprise all of us as a church. And we thank you for them. We thank you for so many of your families in this church that are responding in ways that we don't even know of yet. So God, we just pray that more and more stories would come out of what we've learned in this, this book of James. God, not only how you've affected us as individuals, but how you are affecting us as a church. And God, I pray that you would continue to do what only you can do in Crosspoint Community Church as you take this body of believers and you use it to shine for your glory in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.